0: Casino. and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
1: Eighteen plus. Welcome to Next Pod, your weekly look at North American soccer prospects, MLS Next Pro, CPL, and beyond. Yeah. These are your hosts, Dwayne Rollins and James Grassi. And welcome to Next Pro for uh, March 27th. It's March 27th, a little recording before that. Uh, how you doing, James?
2: Doing, I'm doing well. Uh, we're getting into the, the real exciting part of the year. You know, I've got some Canada matches lined up on the docker. We've got MLS Next Pro starting off this weekend. And before we know it, we'll have some KMPL action as well, sort of filling up my notebook of games i got to keep an eye on. So I'm looking, toward, looking forward to, to chatting about a bunch of that with you here today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun when the season gets going. I, I saw Valder and Pacific, I think we're playing an exhibition game. I'm uh, sorry, friendly. Um, don't want to, don't want to offend the uh, soccer pierce out there by calling it American something, but uh, they were playing a, a game in the preseason. And uh, I was like, Whoa, that's, that's already starting soon. So it, 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 I'm looking forward to it. I, I missed the camp PL. I I watched every game last year. So, you know, it, it, it leaves a hole when it's gone. So it'll be fun to get back with that. And of course there are, uh, There's a lot of young players to talk about in that league. That's the purpose of this show. Uh, Today, James and I, we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, There's been, you know, some rumors and some buzz around TFC about maybe a disconnect between the young players and and Bob Bradley, the the head coach there. Uh, We're going to sort of address that to start and and talk about what James has heard. James is around the team quite a bit, uh, so he might have some insight there to to talk about. I I know you have a a quote from, from Michael Bradley that we might get into the show as well. Uh, we're going to then move on to a conversation about a couple of players that uh, made a sign and made signings in the next pro rather than um, stay in Campell or return to Campell uh sort of talk about that and talk about the pathway and and whether that's the right decision for everyone or, or some players or whether we should worry about it from a Campell perspective in terms of, of what that means so we'll address that and then we're going we're gonna to end the show uh, sort of talking about the raison d'etre of this podcast. We're going to try and define what exactly a prospect is. Uh, because we're having a prospect show here, so we need to know what a prospect is. We're, gonna, we're going to have that conversation uh, today. Um, as I said, we're going to start with a little conversation about Toronto FC and, and some of the, the rumors around there right now. Well, obviously if we were doing a full show on TFC this would be focused a lot on on the Insigne stuff and and him going to Turkey which you know my TLDR on that James is I think it's bonk I mean I think they make up stuff like that in places like that all the time so I wouldn't worry too much about that TFC fans but there is a perspective out there I've seen from, from not just you know average fans but like fans that are connected that there is a bit of a a disconnect in the room, uh, maybe some frustration in the room from the young players. A divide between the young players and the veteran players in terms of of what's happening in the TFC room, um, and in particular how Bob Bradley handles young players. You're around the team a lot. You're around the team, particularly talking about young players a lot, James. So, so what is your take on on this perceived divide among some that that exists in the TFC room about young players?
2: Yeah, when. Um when you put it to me that this was something that was sort of out there, I I, got to say, I was pretty surprised by it. Um, You know, I've, I've listened to Michael really closely for for nearly a decade now. And I've listened to Bob really closely for this last year and a half or so. And, uh, you know, to my mind, they're, they're true football people, you know, and and one of the, one of the joys of this profession, you know, amongst, you know, along with getting out there every Saturday for the match is um, helping guys break in. To, to this profession you know in in a lot of ways it's one of the last true apprenticeships left in the world where where guys come in as really raw amateurs and get to rub shoulders with with masters as they learn their craft and so when you when you put this in front of me and said you wanted to talk about it I was I was a little bit perplexed just based on on the things that I've seen and and some of the conversations that I've had and you know it was just last week that uh you know Michael Bradley spoke before the home opener and and our colleague John and Arrow asked him asked him about working with Kobe Franklin in preseason cuz John had had spoken to Kobe and, and one of the things that Kobe had said was you know something along the lines of Michael Bradley's been a a real big help sort of just you know making him feel comfortable giving him pointers here and there uh, just just taking him under his wings and this is uh, I prepared a quote for you just I know this makes for scintillating <laughs> radio hearing me uh, Read out a Michael Bradley quote. I don't know if I, my impression will be spot on, but I think I can get the cadence more or less. Um, and Michael's response was was, "It's what being a team on a team is. You know, if every guy was thinking about themselves, then you'd be a pretty bad team." Was what he was his sort of immediate quip. And then he went on that if you want to have a good team, then you have as many guys as possible who are not just thinking about themselves. Guys who are looking around, paying attention, trying to help talk to guys, engage guys, ask questions, and learn about others. You're always going to have certain guys, certain groups of guys who get along better than others. But when you talk about the best teams that I've ever been on, there's been a real sense of we're all in something together. And part of the deal when you get older and you're an experienced guy on a team is you try to help the young guys. You try to look at the ones that have something that are motivated, that are pushing every day like crazy to learn, to prove themselves, and you try in a real way to help them. Uh, we've got a lot of those young, hungry, motivated young guys around here. Uh, it's not just me, but there's a real sense of always trying to help these guys in every way that we can. Um, and so to me, that doesn't really sound like somebody who's, who's, you know, promoting a, a division between the dressing room or anything like that. I think if if I try to understand the origins of this, this sort of topic, where it would come from, uh, you know, you have to go back to last year when we saw a lot of young players get a ton of minutes with DFC. And, and I think last year was a bit of an anomaly in that regard. DFC were a team that, that especially early on, were, were still bringing in key pieces. And, and as new players arrived in town, we really saw a lot of those minutes drop off. You know, then you had in the Jaden Nelson and Luca Petrasa, two of the guys who accounted for a good number of those minutes and moved on. And and more guys have come in in the offseason. Um, through four matches... You know, Ayo Nola, DeAndre Kirk, Kosi Thompson, Kobe Franklin, Hugo Mbong have all seen mates. Uh Femi Antonoglu still recovering from injury. So that leaves Shaquille Marshall-Ruddy and Jordan Carruzza as the only young guys that haven't seen the pitch yet. Um, maybe if you want to count Lucas McNaughton in that group, although he's not really a young guy in the same way. Uh, so that's that's where I account for the change in minutes between last year and this one. And, uh, you know, this is a team that, that's really looking to win now. Um, you don't sign a couple of thirty-year-olds to really big contracts if you're you're planning on building for you know three or four years from now because the reality is contracts are short and when you bring bring the likes of Insigne, Bernadeski, and in, uh, you're doing it to win now and and then I think another factor that you have to consider is the quirk of this season and the League Cup and how that's how that's upended the the usual rhythm of the season. I think we've spoken about this before, but. Mm-hmm. Normally teams have a good runway to get themselves ready for the year before we hit that summer grind and that's when the points and the results really start to matter when it comes to playoff position. And and this year that's that's been flipped on its head. You know, by the time the league pauses for League's Cup in uh, I believe it is August, I want to say. No, it's July. When the league pauses on July fifteenth, TFC will have played twenty four of their thirty four games already. So you only have 30 points left on the back end of that season. And with five matches in April and six matches in May, those 11 games are basically a 30-year season. And so you have to take what you worked on in preseason and get that ingrained in your starting 11 as quickly as possible this year. And so finding minutes for younger guys is going to be a, a little bit trickier than uh, than. It may have been in the past. I'll be curious to see what the team looks like this weekend in, in San Jose. Again, that will happen between us recording and this going out and uh, and how things sort of look when the schedule gets a little bit thicker before uh, before I start to worry too much that
1: they're ignoring the young kids. Yeah, and, and as James just said, we record on Wednesdays, and this show goes out on Mondays. So by the time you hear this, you will know how that game went on Saturday night, which is uh, between TFC and San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, TFC missing maybe up to nine players in that game. Certainly, you would think that some of those young players will get an opportunity in that contest and, and along the along the year because you know, injuries happen and the Leagues Cup is there too. As much as I like to dismiss it from an MLS standpoint, I think it is an opportunity for the young players if they want to treat it that way. Uh, we talked about that in week one of this show. We're can we we're not going to belabor it a little bit more there. Uh, James is close to the team, so he's better positioned than I am to speak to these rumors and to speak to the, any truth to this idea of problems in the TFC dressing room, particularly around young players. All I'll say is that there's always a lot of noise around this team because there's a lot of people that follow this team and and you have to be careful believing every bit of noise you hear because there's a lot of agendas out there and some of them are pro tfc some of them are anti TFCs, some of them are god knows but there's a lot of agendas out there and you have to sort of filter through that to understand what's what uh i know there will be people that hear this that will just think that we're you know tfc fanboys and we're we're trying to dismiss any possibility or sweep it under the rug because we're scared of of access well james i'm sure, pretty sure you're not scared of access i have a season ticket so i'm not worried about it at all uh so you know it, it's really not that I, I think there's not a lot to this but we'll obviously always watch this stuff and, and watch it carefully all right i wanted to talk about a couple signings that happened um this week uh, for TFC two TFC two will start its, its season. Um, well, six days from the time of this recording. When you hear it uh, Matthew catavolo, um catavolo and uh, Jordan Feria, they are two players that uh, played in the camp PL. Feria played for York United uh, before going to Finland. He has returned signed for TFC two this year, rather than going back to Campiel. Uh catavolo. He played for Valley, Valor last year played quite a bit for Valor last year, 19 starts. Uh, he has, he's gone back to TFC2 as well, or sorry, gone to TFC2 uh, rather than go to Valor. Um, I've written about this a couple times, so I'm going to get your take first on, on this idea that players are, are selecting MLS Next Pro, which I think is clearly a level below in terms of the quality right now, but maybe not in terms of the pathway for them. What are your thoughts on that decision, these individual decisions first? Maybe we'll talk about the players in a minute, but the individual decision, the idea that they're doing here, is it the best for these kids' careers to, to go back to next pro? It
2: is uh, It is pretty fascinating, and it's not just those two guys. We saw Noble Akello and Nakai Greenidge Duncan sign with New England Revolution second team. Uh, Isaiah Johnson and Chris Novich in soft also York boys are, are with Nashville's affiliate Huntsville going into this season and, and I read somewhere that Sean Ferdinand uh, is going to be with Portland and you know last year we saw the success of, of Mo Farsi and Jason Russell Rowe who granted he never played in the Canadian Premier League but he decided when he left TFC that that MLS Next Pro and Columbus Crew 2 was the, the right place for him to, to be and you know okay. for me it it makes a lot of sense. I, I'm, I haven't spoken to any of these guys about the decision. It's one of those things that that I, I intend to do going forward to sort of pick guys' brains and see what goes into what goes into the decision making in in these regards. And for me, just looking at it from the outside, it, it's a proximity thing. You know, um, if you are playing. In a team adjacent to an MLS club, then you are going to be in the training sessions with that team. You're going to be speaking with the coaches. There are going to be more eyes guaranteed to be on you in those positions than there will necessarily be when you're playing in a Canadian Premier League side. You know, some of that's just you can only you know people can only watch so much football. I know you and I do our best to watch everything, but there's only so many hours in the day, um, and so. The the remove, I think the Noble Okello one is is perhaps the most interesting of the bunch, and that's because here's a guy who was with TFC's first team, and you have to imagine like I think I tweeted it out at the time when when TFC you know announced that that he wouldn't be coming back, and I was tweeted something to the effect of you know if I was a CPL front office right now I would be dropping everything I am doing and getting a hold of Noble and seeing what I can do to entice him to come to my team. And so for him to decide that that it's better for him to sign with the second team of a club means that or at least what I think that means is that he sees a direct pathway or a more direct pathway of being in the MLS ecosystem and thereby finding his way back to the MLS first team level than he necessarily sees by by going somewhere else and starting a new adventure with a Canadian Premier League club. And to some people's minds having to fight back up a level and. Um, both of these leagues in the grand scheme of things are still really, really young. So it's not, it's, I don't think it's something that we can necessarily say, you know, things are set and will out forever be this way. Uh, But it's interesting to see that, that a good number of guys who, who have the potential of, of doing more in their careers have decided that being closer to MLS than not is, is better for them.
1: Yeah. I, I think Mo Farsi is a great example of a, of a guy that you know was won an award in in KMPL and and you know a month later was at the door and going to Crew Two. At the time, a lot of people were critical of that decision; they couldn't understand it. Uh, then, you know, as I wrote this week on on my Substack, he had you know ten friends in the front row of BMO Field watching him start for the Columbus Crew and MLS action less than a year later. Right? It worked for him. You can't deny that. Um, is that fair? That that there's a better perception of next pro amongst mls players they're going to look at the next pro players a little more closely than than campiel players probably not but it is the reality of of any league you're going to look at your own guys first it's a little easier you can have them in house particularly as with canadians if you didn't come through um if you don't, you're not eligible for the the homegrown status for the sorry the inner the extension of the international rule status if, if you didn't go come out for enough time in the in the academies you're you're going to be an international player then then there's another obstacle to getting signed and Mo Farsi was was a guy that faced that so for him to go down and and I did speak to someone last year at the time about this and was told that yeah that was his thinking uh that this was his agent is who I spoke to I think I can probably safely say this a year out uh he said that his his thinking was that with the international status put on top of him to go down there it was a lot for the crew to just Give it to him sight unseen. They thought he was a good enough player, but to go and show that he could perform week in week out at Crew Two, train with that team, show that he could train with them at that level. Then once they were satisfied, then they were pretty confident that they were going to see an offer coming through. Um, he did start in the Campiel, and he spoke highly of the Campiel before. So this isn't a, a dismissal of that league in terms of its value. But there is, I had a conversation today, James, about this with someone online, uh, a very well known Campiel. Uh, follower that that he was happy with the, the success of KL of moving players on I, I'm a little less bullish about what they've done so far in terms of moving players up. there's been some high profile successes I like think Joel Waterman is the most obvious one but to me some of those guys that have gone over it's not been the most ideal leagues that they've found and they've, they've come back in a lot of cases and and I'm not sure whether that's selling the league to other leagues as, as a league you can trust that a guy will come in and be able to take success there and move it up. So they think they have some work to do to, to continue to, to develop their reputation because they are a young league, as you say. MLS is the most natural pathway for them. And if they want to become a league which sells players and makes some money that way, then then they're going to have to start thinking about that from almost a business standpoint and maybe offer these guys a little bit more financial security to get them under contract so that you can get a sell out of it. And that's the question that I come down on a little bit too here. And this is something I think we'll, we'll talk about a lot this year is is what is the camp role in a development system? Are they a development league? We know next pro is that's why they're going there. They're trying to develop very specifically for, for whatever first team that you were attached to, or or obviously I think other MLS teams will look at you as well, but what is camp On one hand, they have teams like Atletico, uh, like Ottawa, and you have teams like Forge, which are, are very much entertainment project, um, entertainment options within their city. They are, are teams that are trying to win at the Campiel level. You, know, you look at Forge and Ottawa have struggled to hit the under 21-minute uh, total, the rule in there, which is what, 1,500 minutes for a season, which shouldn't be that hard to hit, but yet they've struggled to hit it. That tells you that they aren't really looking at themselves as peer development, but rather as as a win now kind of situation. And, and maybe the league should be that. And maybe development is just an offshoot of having a league rather than something that you put a rule down for. Uh, we're not going to get into the other 21 rule today. That's a topic that will be get talked on a lot this year, because obviously those are the players that we're going to be looking at. Um, we'll talk a bit more about that after the break, but certainly there's, there's things for people to think about five years into this league of whether they're hitting their development uh, ideas, whether they're, they need to tweak that under 21 rule. I know a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that John Herdman had said to you in the past or said to reporters in the past that he might even like that a little younger, the under 21 rule. Yet I hear other people saying, maybe it's time to even scrap it. So there's lots of questions from a KMPL level in terms of what they want to be on the development side. Um, Before I let you jump back in, just real quick, on this move, these moves I mentioned, the moves you mentioned, I think it's really difficult to argue that it isn't a better pathway for those guys, right? They've seen it work. If they can succeed down there, then they're going to get a shot. They have the camp as an option to come back to probably if they don't succeed too. And that might be part of the thinking as well that, you know, Okello might think, yeah, I can go to camp at any time, but this might be a, a last chance to stick in MLS. And that's, just a better financial option for the player beyond the football side of things Uh, real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. You can jump in James.
2: Oh, I was just going to say that I'm, I'm sort of, I haven't really formulated my thoughts about what kind of league the CPL should be. And as you said, we'll talk about this later, but I, I think, I think you don't really have to choose either of those. The fact that you can have different teams that decide to do different things uh, is all for the better. And for me, would I look at it, you know, you mentioned uh, Jordan Faria. Um, Jordan Faria, Matthew Catavolo, sort of opting to make the jump from CPL to MLS Next Pro. We've seen guys go in both directions in the past. You know, TFC2 last year had had Clay Dicella, who was with, who was with Forge before, Stefan Karajorvanovic, who was with Halifax, and Bajman, who was with Forge. So for me, I'm still sort of new in thinking about where all of this needs to go and, and what all of this should finally look like when it reaches some some, you know, perfect form later on in the future. And for now, I'm just glad that that players have options when when it comes to how they want to choose which pathway their career is going to take. And for so long, you know, you'd see guys guys would go down to school in the states and then when they finished with that there was nowhere for them to continue to play and so just for me the fact that these guys have options and that they're going to be continuing their careers and have another chance to to find the right opportunity for themselves is is worth uh celebrating a little bit right now
1: no 100 percent. and one of the great things about next pro if you want to extend this a little bit to just development in 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 general and to the american side is that it I think it really does extend the the opportunity for those late bloomers uh, to stick with the team for a little while and see what they can bring those MLS next or super draft picks. They can stick around. Um, I don't see a reason why the camp or the U sport, pardon me, can't maybe get a player in there. U sports proven to be a good proving uh, good uh, training ground for, for campy players. They've seen some success there. Right. And and we saw a U sport player first drafted overall, uh, signed to a, a full contract this week in uh for Vancouver FC, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about that today, but maybe that's a topic down the line, but, but it just does extend the extend that opportunity a little bit longer, which is a good segue, James, to talk a little or to set up what we're going to talk about after this quick little break. And that is we're going to have a conversation to figure out what exactly a prospect is. This is a show about prospects. So we should probably figure that out. So we'll do that right after this quick little break.
0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: And welcome back. As I said, going into the break, uh, we want to have a little conversation about what prospects are. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a gray area. I think a lot of people don't really know there's a different perspective in terms of North American prospects versus European prospects. I think a lot of people in Europe wouldn't say that a prospect isn't anything younger than maybe 16, that if you get above that, that you should already know, maybe that's not ideal. I don't know, but, Let's start with you, James, and then I'll. I have some notes here. I have some some very black and white sort of definitions that I came up with this afternoon. Uh, I think you're a little more gray in what you're going to talk about. So, so tell me when you are watching a game, what do you think? What do you think a prospect is when you're watching?
2: Uh, I'm I'm glad we're having this conversation because, as you said, it's it's something that we're we're sort of basing this show around, but. Uh, I kind of live in that gray area when it comes to this sort of thing. It's such a slippery term. I mean, is a 14-year-old really a prospect? When do you age out of being a prospect? That sort of thing. So my my general sort of view on it, and, and as I said, I don't really have this um, sort of hard and fast rule about this. For me, the, the term sort of connotes a, a certain amount of potential. You know, it, it doesn't matter – what the age is. If I was prepped to, to pick an age window, I'd probably say by your mid to late twenties, you're kind of who you're going to be, but I don't even know if that's the case. Like if you take Jonathan Osorio of five, six years ago, um, I'd probably say he's a much better player now than he was before then, you know, experiences, time training, sort of the, the diligence to to investigate how you play and how you go about things. Um all that continues going regardless of of how old the guy is. And and I I think it's safe to say, sorry, there's no longer a prospect. He's, he's one of the, the top tier midfielders in MLS these days. I think the trickiest thing for, for us to have this conversation is, you know, I, I sort of look at the hockey world these days, you know, and, and they, you know, when you come up to draft season, you sort of have a top 10 list of guys and, and it extends all over North America and into the college system and over into Europe for guys that are thinking about coming over here. And I think the tricky thing for us is that we don't have that kind of coverage or insight into every soccer game that's going on at the semi-professional level in this part of the world. Like, there are so many players that whose names we will not have heard of that could come out and be the next best thing. You know, like, take Alistair Johnson. When he got drafted by Nashville a couple of years ago, I, I don't think I remember anybody saying, oh, here's this this hot new prospect that's coming up and is going to be making his name on the national team and go and play for Celtic in two or three years. Like, that just, the talk was, oh, cool, there's a Canadian kid who got drafted in the MLS Super Draft. And he took that opportunity and he ran with it. And, you know, you could argue right now that even 23, 24, however old, Alistair is these days I don't think he's reached the highest level of football that he's going to be playing now that he's in the Scottish Premier League um, so how does that how does that sort of fit into this rigid prospect thing? I think Joel Waterman is another really interesting case study when he signed with Calvary ahead of the inaugural CPL season I don't think he was on anybody's radar you know. I think even his move to Montreal came as a bit of a surprise. Dom Zator was the higher-profile defender with with Calvary those days. And and since going to Montreal, we've seen him grow leaps and bounds. He just signed a new deal with Montreal. And even at 27, I'm not sure that we could argue that he's necessarily the finished product or, or that he's all he can be. And you know, Just before you and I sat down to uh, have this conversation, I was watching the video that Canada Soccer put out about Kyle Hebert the St. Louis defender who got called into the national team uh, and two months ago I don't think anybody was was putting his name out there as somebody who should be on John Herdman's radar and the thing that really struck out about about this little you know three minute video that Canada soccer put out was it reminded me of something that Herdman said way 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 back when he was first starting out with the national team and evaluating the pool and and the line that he used was that the player pathways, the player development pathways for Canadian players are so nonlinear. You know, a guy will start out at his local club and then he, maybe he'll go and play for his high school or he'll go into the TFC or Vancouver Academy. And then from there he'll go to college. And then maybe he'll come back to the first team or maybe he'll go to Europe and play in Sweden, or maybe he'll, there's so many irregular pathways. And, and I think what, what's tricky about this conversation is that we always try to compare what's happening here in North America to what we've been shown happens in Europe and South America. And over there where kids are scouted when they're 12 years old and then they're put into a professional environment immediately, that pathway is a little bit different. You know, aside from the occasional late bloomer, you sort of know where a player is going to be by the time they're 18, 19, 20, or you can see the possibility of them getting there and, all this is is sort of a, a long-winded way of me saying that I don't really put the label on in terms of there being an expiry date on that prospect sort of thing. I, I more sort of use it as, hey, this kid has gotten onto my radar and he's somebody who I'm going to be keeping an eye on
1: going forward. And, and look, I can't argue against that. You're kind of making the uh, definition of pornography argument here, right? Like you kind of know <laughs> when you see it. Um, yeah. 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 And there's truth to that. Absolutely. Uh, that said, I'm going to try and define it a little bit more uh, just, you know, to be, to have some fun here in a minute. Um, Yeah. You mentioned Alistair Johnson. I, I think he might be the one of the best. Uh, Tajan Buchanan as well. I think has that, that late bloomer uh label that you can put on it and Tejan's ceiling. We didn't mention him. How high is his ceiling? Like I, who knows, right? Like he, he came out of left field to me as well. Uh, coming through that American sort of uh, NCAA route first, uh, not doing the conventional, and that's the, really what makes it difficult, as you mentioned. Is there's no set pathway. We have better pathways now than we did certainly when you and I were young men. Uh, we didn't have pathways then. We had British men throwing wrenches at you on training pitches, basically, as I think what our our pyramid was at that time. At least that was mine. Um, telling me to tackle hard. That was that was the coaching I got. Slide in hard. Um I would' have got a red card every game if i uh, if I played the in these days James, but at any rate uh hey, game know, has evolved since then yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I wasn't making it anyway but but even the coaching I got was not spectacular it, it involved uh hard tackles and uh and I had a long throw, so uh I got to do that. I was pretty fast back when I was a kid too, so anyway um look it's difficult to to nail that pathway down and without that pathway it is typical that we see players slip through cracks and that makes that late bloomer aspect out there a little harder to pinpoint that said i do i wrote down some numbers here james because i was trying to put some some sort of labels on stuff to kind of put it in here and i'll just throw this out to you and you can tell me what you think of this so First off, you have to break things up into non-pros and pros. Once a player turns pro, all bets are off. Uh, can you call them prospects anymore once they're pros? I don't know. That's kind of a, a bit of a nebulous there. It's, you have to figure that out. But I think once they're pros, there's kind of a different label on them. But when you're talking about non-pros, or when I say pros, I mean first team football. I'm not counting that next pro in this, even though it is technically a pro level. I think that's kind of still a high level of, of semi-pro. It isn't, I know, but you know what I mean? I'm still going to count the next pro guys as prospects possibly, but but once you hit MLS or even camp PL, you kind of got to be considered pros. But when you're talking about non-pros and you're under 16, I'm going to go as high as 16 for this. I'm going to say you can't call them a prospect yet, because I don't think it's fair to call those guys that a, pros- a prospect yet. So I'm going to label under 16 players, just a curiosity. If you're the radar if you're on the, if a if under 16 players on your radar, you it's definitely a curiosity. You're going to be looking at that player because how did you hear of them? Now, if you're just out watching a game at the park and you, you see a 15 year old, maybe let the pro scouts figure that one out. But if if it's getting through the the different levels of of, of sort of media and so forth, and you're still hearing about a kid that's that young, then yeah, you, you probably got something to pay attention to there. You don't typically hear about players that young. I mean, the last couple that young that I can think of, well, there's one we talk about at every show. I think we mentioned him. We, have we mentioned Marshall Ruddy this show? I think we have. So anyway, there, there's his mention. If not, uh, obviously Alfonso Davies, we, we knew about him early. We knew about uh, Jesse Fleming on the, on the women's side. Uh, Carl Lang, if you want to go way back. These are special players. Uh, Marshall Ruddy, we don't know quite yet what he's going to be, but the rest of them I listed there, they're on a different level. I'm not even going to count those. When you see a player like that, that's definitely the pornography rule. You just know that they're going to be good and you talk about them. But generally speaking, under 16, just a curiosity. When they get to under 17, the, the label I'm coming with here, James, is promising youngster. And just because I kind of want to use the word youngster makes me feel like i am got a pipe or something. Uh, but, I can respect that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're a promising youngster at under 17. Uh, At under 18, this is when we get into the prospect. So I'm basically defining a prospect as, as anything under 20. I'll I'll jump ahead a little bit, but I'm kind of going to break it down a little bit more. An under 18 player to me is a hot prospect because that's when the hype is the highest, right? Marshall Ruddy is a great example for this. When he was 17, that's when it was last year, everyone thought, okay, this is it. He's going to go for $20 million to Arsenal all bets are off. The world is your oyster. We all remember what it was like to be 17. You can do anything. The reality is life comes at you fast after that. And and maybe you didn't hit those heights, but at 17, you're at the top of the game. Everyone's potential is is at its highest and there's been no disappointment yet. So I'm going to say hot prospect at at the under 18 level under 19 is an interesting prospect. You've had a year in there, but you, you know, maybe things didn't go as well as you wanted. Uh, If you were a hot prospect still, maybe you've been sold up to a real high level. And then we're talking about the pro stuff, Uh, but you're still interesting. And then under 20, you're still a prospect, but I'm just going to call you just a prospect at that point. So then that jumps, I'm going to jump one more. So we're in North America, as you mentioned, not everyone goes through the same pathway. The NCAA is still an option. U sport is an option. So under 23 and you haven't turned pro yet, but you're on some pro teams radar I think we're safely into the late bloomer territory here now, James, which is kind of a different topic, still an exciting topic to talk about, but it's a bit different. And and we'll talk about late bloomers, I'm sure. And finally, I'm going to do a subcategory for keepers. I, I think any keeper under 23 can still be called a prospect. They're always going to fall into those other categories as well, but under 23 because keepers play a little longer as we know, and it's more of a brain game. Uh, I think you can be a little bit older and still be considered a prospect or even a hot prospect. Uh, lastly, just quickly before I let you jump in and comment on my my madness here. Um, when you become a pro, I think when you're a pro under 20, you're a young player. Uh, if you're a first season, as a, if you've never played pro but you're above 20, I'm going to call you a rookie. So that's the definition, the the difference there. A rookie is kind of a guy that's coming through the NCAA or another different level and is becoming a pro later in life. So I'm going to use that North American term to describe that because it came through a North American kind of system. And certainly that's the distinction MLS used to use when they, they had rookie of the year. Um, and then I have another, another level down here called future star, which is what I spoke of right off the top. That's your, your future stars are the guys that you just know. They're your Alfonso Davies. And if we find another one of those, then, then that's great. But uh, they're, they're once every 10 years or so, the future stars. So that's what I came up with. Uh, those are pretty rigid. I appreciate, but you know, it, it helps to sometimes have labels on that. I don't know if we'll follow those this year, but uh, that's what I did. Uh, did come down the pipe with.
2: Well, I enjoyed that. And uh, I like the differentiation. I enjoy some of the names, you know, who doesn't want to be a hot prospect. Yeah. Um, I think where I would go back to is, is just sort of that's, that's a system that I could very much see fitting the North American style of sports where everybody is known and everything is sort of streamlined in a way, you know, I, I still think that, you know, maybe in 10 years or so, when we've, when we've padded out all these connections between the various leagues and when teams have sort of figured things out, when the, when the development system has become a little bit more professionalized, and when you know the Canadian youth national teams have become more sort of a, the conversation that we have on a, on TSN every day when the, when the, you know, world juniors are rolling around every, every holiday season, that's when I think a classification like that becomes more useful because for me right now, just going on the guy's raw age, it, it overlooks so many of the experiences that are going to be super formative into what kind of player he becomes, you know, just to go back to, to you bringing up Tejon, um alongside Alistair, you know, Jonathan David, Ismael Kone, and a couple of other names that come to mind. That that yeah, you know, there were little there were little bits of rumor here and there. Like you you know, some of us had heard Jonathan David's name before he went over to Europe, um, but it was really once he went over there that that the name exploded here. And and Kone at Montreal sort of burst onto the scene, sort of fell into their lap in a lot of ways, wasn't really affiliated with them through the youth system, was looking for a way to get overseas and ended up finding himself playing with Montreal. So I guess for me, I, I'm not ready to to be so definitive about things until we start strengthening the pathways that a, a player experiences from U thirteen on to that U twenty three level or, or whatever it is that that you wanted to say. I, I you know, you and I go way back. So I remember back in the days when we used to hear about guys just randomly on message boards, you know, the Hanson guys and the Kevin Aylmans and stuff like that. And remember Sam Piet bursting onto the scene as a 16-year-old getting a call up to the national team before any of us had had a chance to ever see the kid play. Um, and I'm I'm not super close to, to how the provincial teams and the youth national teams were, were assembled back in those days, but it was a bit of a hodgepodge, you know. It was... I think it's fair to say that it was more about being seen by the right people than necessarily being the most talented prospects in the country at that age. And we probably still have a fair bit of that problem these days. You know, we've, we've talked a little bit about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that the majority of youth youth national teams are coming out of the three MLS academies and how that's going to look going forward as the Canadian Premier League clubs start to fan out their youth, uh, youth sectors will We'll have to see. That'll be a conversation for for another day. But yeah, I, I I understand what you're trying to do and trying to trying to sort of differentiate between everything like that. But until we stop getting until the guys who show up out of nowhere and surprise us become really, really rare. Uh, I don't think we're ready for, for such rigidity.
1: Yeah, I mean it was a good effort by me, I think. But I think ultimately we're we're coming down on the pornography uh, definition here. Um, I've said pornography too many times. We're going to get uh, ranked ranked or wrong on on the iTunes soon if I keep saying that. But anyway, you know what I mean. I, we're we're going to talk about players that it makes sense to talk about because if you get into age groups, you have the other problem with it, it's not just uh, you might miss someone. It's also there's players that are going to hit those age. The arbitrary age numbers that I put out there that are already well-known that aren't really what we're here for. Like, I mean, technically Alfonso Davies might be considered young enough to still be a, a prospect in someone's mind, but he's clearly not. He's a fully established player that may get better. Um, And look, I think there's room within a show like this for a lot of flexibility. We might even talk about players that are in that 23, 24 year old range. Sometimes if we think that they're still improving, um, you know, you look at uh, Jacob Schaffelberg, for instance, who's having a great start to his season in Nashville. Like, is he a player that can, well, he's already got a cap, I know that, but is he a player that could consistently work his way into a conversation for John Herdman? Um, I don't think so, but you never know, and that, that might be a conversation uh, down the line. But I, I, in general, I kind of want to focus this on a little bit younger guys, but but there's lots of room there's lots of opportunity to to be gray and how we define this and, and kind of enjoy it. And I think most of our listeners would agree, but uh, uh, I don't think we uh, we settled anything here, but it was a worthwhile conversation to have James. Yep.
2: Yep. Definitely. I think, uh, you know, as the, as the sport and, and the development of, of professionals in this country sort of matures uh, alongside us, uh, I think these conversations that we're, we're having will be more and more fruitful, but, You know, for now, it's it's for me. It it really just comes down to okay, have I heard about this kid? Have I seen a little bit of what he can do? All right, he's he's going, starting up a tab, seeing what he's uh, what he's getting up to, and finding out where where the world takes him. So it's uh it's going to be fun to uh, to see where this goes.
1: Absolutely, and we will uh, watch it all year. Uh, By the time you hear the next one, uh, we will uh, have the first week in the books of next pro so uh we'll we'll be talking about games soon enough here and that's pretty exciting too uh i'm dwayne Rollins. you can follow me on twitter at at 24th minute uh james Grossi. he's at grassy do you want to spell that for people there james uh it's
2: g-r-a-w-s-e-e and that is not how my last name is spelt, but it is how it is
1: pronounced absolutely yeah it's spelled the italian way i would say i assume it's italian anyway james i have never really asked you that but does certainly look at. Anyway, um that's that's going to be it for us today. I'm not good at any podcast. That's why uh, Kevin used to run these things in the show in the past, but I'll get better, I promise. In the meantime, let's hope lots of Canadian players get better including by beating Honduras, F Honduras 2 days from now. Tickets widely available if you're in Toronto. Grab some if you want. They're very expensive, but please go out and support the Canadian national team until that time. We'll talk soon.